Good morning, everybody. How's everybody today? Yeah. All right. I got to say, Ryan nailed that song, didn't he? I was like hooting and hollering, and worship was amazing. Thank you guys so much. I always feel like worship takes us to the throne. I'm a little nervous today because my wife told me the bottom of my shirt was really wrinkled. She told me I was supposed to pull on it when I got out here, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. Hey guys, welcome. Welcome to everybody in person. I, I love seeing you guys. In fact, I told Dave and Daryl this week, I said, look, I'm not physically here enough, so I'm committed to like coming three, three, at least three times a month to be here with you guys because I just love being around you. I, I can't tell you how excited we are to see your faces. Uh, I know some of you guys are still being cautious and I get that. I understand it, but we really, really, really hope to see many, many, many more of you returning to campus soon. I also want to welcome our Branchville campus, anybody listening online or now or in the future. We are in the third week of our series, straight out of the 80s, when Dave was wearing that, that I think that's Randy Savage. Wasn't he Macho Man? Am I right about that? Anybody Dusty Rhodes fans in here? Harley Race, Junkyard Dog? None of you are that old, are you? That all out of the 80s, man. Loved that time. Moved to Florida right around then and would actually go to Tampa Bay all the time to, to watch the wrestling matches. I told Daryl this morning, the interesting thing about going to a wrestling match in Tampa Bay is there are literally, and I'm not making this up, more fights in the stands than there are in the ring. God bless Florida. It's a whole special breed down there, isn't it? Our message today centers on greatness or significance. And in particular, I want to talk about your greatness. I want to talk about your significance. We're going to be focusing on two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, also known as sons of thunder. They had traveled with Jesus for over three years. They camped next to him. They watched him raise the dead and heal the sick. And they were held in high esteem because they were guilty by association. They were with Christ, and I got to tell you, they loved it, and you're going to see that later on. They had a strong desire to be considered great. Most of us do, don't we? So before we pray and dig in, I want to give you a question to contemplate as we're praying. How great are you? Are you significant? If so, how significant? How elated are you in the eyes of others? Or, or, or perhaps, perhaps what are you great at? What do you do that causes others to, to talk about you? If your answer is, well, no, n- nothing. I'm not really great at too much. I don't feel that significant. Then I have wonderful news for you today. Wonderful news for all of us. The Bible gives us an incredible foolproof formula to become great, and more importantly, to to become significant. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what you look like, what kind of shape you're in, or what kind of shape you're not in, you can walk out of here heading towards greatness. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into that formula today. Father, we love and worship and praise you. What a God, what a King, what a Savior. Uh, You love us. And we in turn turn around and love you back. Father, I I pray for those here. I pray for those listening, God, that you would bless them indeed. Father, intensely, immensely, that you would expand their borders. Father, that you would keep their hand on them, Father. That that no harm would befall them, no evil. Bless them, bless their families, bless their children. 
acquiesced this morning and asked you to come and speak in Christ's name. Amen. What if greatness is not defined by power, authority, or influence? What if greatness is defined by love, humility, and sacrifice? I've always wanted to be great at something. Our series is called Straight Out of the 80s, and I remember the 80s well. I was in high school until 1980, and I wrestled for one and a half seasons. I wanted to be great, but I wasn't. I weighed 215 pounds, and the unlimited weight class back then started at 210 pounds, and this was Florida where they grow wrestlers and football players. I remember when Pinellas Park High School started and the average lineman was 305 pounds in high school. Of course, we had twins, the Demas brothers. They weighed 345 pounds each and they threw the scale off. But still, the lightest guy I wrestled was 255 pounds. The heaviest guy I wrestled was 315 pounds. I didn't win a lot. All I remember was him rolling on me. The rest is blank. I started college in 1980 and really got into weightlifting, and I got to where I could eventually bench about 335 pounds. Now it's pretty good, but I wanted to bench 350. I was okay in sports, but I was never great. In fact, I have this vivid memory, this scar of being nine years old and playing baseball. And the bases are loaded, and the guy at bat hits the ball down, you know, right down center field. And the guy on first comes running towards me. I'm standing on second, and I didn't know what to do. I panic, and he's yelling, run, and I didn't run. And so the guy, you know, the other team has the glove and tags us both out. We lost that game. The other nine-year-olds did not console me the way you think they would. They didn't tell me everything was going to be okay. It bothered me that I was never great at sports. Being great at something just makes you feel worthy, doesn't it? You, you want someone to point at you and say, man, that guy can just really, or she's the very best at. You want to be the greatest dad, the mom everyone holds up as the poster child for momhood, or maybe Evansville's greatest realtor, Indiana's best plumber, or anything that would make the world around you notice you. A lot of people define their worth by how good they are at something, by how many people recognize them in public or see them as worthy. But what if greatness isn't defined by power, authority, and influence? What if greatness is defined by love, humility, and sacrifice? Because here's the deal. In all honesty, sometimes even when we're great at something, the world around us doesn't seem to care. I was in Florida uh, uh, last week laying on Clearwater Beach. People kept trying to push me in the water, wondering if I couldn't breathe. <laughs> when my buddy called me and said, hey, I've got box seats on the 18th hole of the Arnold Palmer International Golf Tournament in Orlando tomorrow. Do you want to go? The tickets were $2,500 a piece. He had already paid for them. His company had. I said, yes, I want to go. 18th hole, box seat, front line, me, order food, anything you want to eat or drink the whole day. But you can only appreciate how awesome that was if you're a golfer. It's one of the biggest professional tournaments all year. In fact, I immediately called Dave Bowersox to tell him that I was going. You know why I did it? Because I knew he would secretly or openly be green with envy. 
and perhaps even hate me for a moment because of it. And his envy was its own reward. My favorite players were there, DeChambeau, Roy McIlroy, Jordan Spieth. There were dozens and dozens of amazing golfers playing in that tournament, guys that were incredible. But I found myself feeling sorry for most of the players. Why? Well, you could look out over the fairways and tell who was coming by how many people were following them. Most of the golfers had no one following them. No one was watching them. They weren't, the cameras weren't even on when they were there. A few like Roy McElroy, DeChambeau had more than hundreds of people following him. You, you could look out over the fairways and see who was coming your way. The other golfers were incredible or they wouldn't have been there. But they weren't the goats. They weren't the greatest of all time. And no one seemed to even notice that they were there. The world seems to define greatness by how visibly successful you are. And that sentiment, that desire for the world to see as important as anything but new. Even Jesus' disciples dealt with it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 if you want to turn there, Bible Gateway or wherever you're at. Matthew 20 verse 20 says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and one on your left. Aren't moms awesome? James and John were known as the sons of thunder, which would you lead us to believe in rightly so that these were men's men. They had a reputation for being tough. But apparently, at least in this instance, being sons of thunder meant their mother's name was Thunder. Moms just want to help. Uh, they, want to, they want the world to love their kids as much as they do. I remember being 17 in a grocery store, and I was with my mom, and the cashier was super cute. Remember, I was only 17. And I was trying to flirt with her. And it was going, it was going pretty well. It was going in a great direction. When suddenly my mom, for no reason, said to the cashier in the world around us, we're all on diets. Mood effectively killed. I don't know why she said that. Maybe she wanted the cashier to know that even though I was a little overweight, uh, there was hope. I never shopped there again. Mama Thunder was just trying to help her boys out. She wanted the world around them and all of heaven to know what every mom knows. My kids are the absolute best. The interaction immediately, this interaction with her and the boys immediately precedes Jesus talking about his impending death. They're, they're walking to Jerusalem. He's literally on his way to die. Matthew 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what's going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious soul. They will sentence him to die. They will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged, and whipped, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus was talking about how he was going to save the world. He was letting them know that he would pay for the sins of anyone who would call upon his name. And according to the Bible, Jesus was in great emotional agony as he contemplated this suffering that would literally be days away. 
But the disciples had an earned reputation for not understanding what he was saying, even when it was said plainly. Anybody have children? You'll know exactly what that's like. See, they knew prophecy, and they believed and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the King of Kings. They believed that wholeheartedly, but they were fuzzy on what Scripture and prophecy meant by Jesus saving them and becoming their king. They were focused on the title King of of Kings. They they knew very well, I believe, and believed that he was heading to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman government. That's what they thought. After all, he commanded legions of angels. Demons feared and trembled in his presence. One army certainly couldn't stop a king like that. See, in their minds, he was going to set up a political kingdom. He was going to physically establish a throne there and rule and reign from there. And mom wanted her kids to be sitting on the dais right alongside of him. After all, isn't that what it means to be great? To have every eye on you. To be great, even if it's by association. I want to tell you today, absolutely not. That is not at all what greatness is. And more importantly, that's not what significance is. You can be absolutely great at something and still be incredibly insignificant. You can be an amazing golfer and no one will follow you around. No one will even care. You can be the world's most successful businesswoman. And no one will ever give you a second thought. Your greatness can leave, you, can leave you completely insignificant to the world around you. Because here's the deal. What, what truly makes a man or woman great is what makes them significant. Not only in the eyes of God, but certainly in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of the world around them. It's what they do for others. Let me put it this way. You can't be, you can be considered great You can be considered great at what you do and still be totally insignificant and unimportant to the world around you. See, true greatness is achieved by attaining true significance. Uh, Let me say that again. True greatness is achieved by attaining true significance. Significance means, here's the definition, to be sufficiently great or important. To be worthy of attention, to be noteworthy. So here's the true question. Are you significantly great to someone else? Are you worthy of someone's attention? If so, then according to God's word, you are significant. But here's the deal. Whether your answer is no or yes, I have great news for you today. The Bible gives an incredible foolproof formula to make you great, to make you significant to the world around you, to give meaning to your life, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what shape you're in. Because like so many truths, the formula for success might just be the exact opposite of what you expect. Jesus is about to define exactly what greatness looks like in the eyes of God. Let's look at Christ's response to James and John and Mama Thunder's request. Jesus gathers the boys together for what would be one of his final lessons before the cross. Their three and a half years together was coming to a rapid end as the cross was drawing closer and closer, literally hours away. Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, 
This is right after that question. Hey, can they be great? Hey, guys, let's huddle. Let's get together for, for a defining moment. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the elders in this world lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority of those under them. I'm in charge and you're not. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a great leader among you must be your servant. I walk by so many of our people vacuuming and cleaning and setting up. And, and I just walked by him randomly and said, you are a great leader. You are a great leader. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Did you catch Christ's formula in that? He clearly tells the boys and us how to become great. He lays out a simplistic but brilliant plan to become a, a leader held in high esteem, a plan to be significant. And folks, I'm here to tell you today that that path and that significance is offered to every one of you right now. Step one, if you want to be significant, you have to be a servant. If you want to be significant, you have to be a servant. He said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. That is so Jesus. Truth always seems to be upside down from what we would normally believe. Let me put it this way. If you want to be somebody, then you have to be helping someone else be somebody. That's the truth of the word of God. If you want to be somebody, then you have to be helping somebody else be somebody. Greatness isn't defined by power, authority, and influence. Greatness is defined by love, humility, and sacrifice according to the word of God. Remember our definition of significance? To be sufficiently great or important, to be worthy of attention, to be noteworthy. Who are you important to? Who points at you and says, my life is better because you're in it? Who knows Jesus better because you keep telling them about him? Whose attention do you have? Who feels significant because you take the time to love them and to pour into him? I recently received one of the greatest compliments of my life from a kid who used to be hooked on drugs and alcohol. His name is Ben. And by the way, that's his real name because I have his full permission to tell the story. I've known Ben since he was in middle school. He's now in his mid-30s, which just makes me so old. But God's grace, I was given the privilege to speak into his life from an early age. And, and, and it is a gift from God and an honor to be able to pour Jesus into others. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. To be allowed to serve others. It isn't a chore. It's a blessing. Uh, despite... Uh, I, I can't, I wish I could stand on my head and drive that point home, that it is a blessing, almost an act of selfishness to pour into others. Despite a lot of time spent together, Ben drifted far from God until circumstances got his attention and turned his heart back towards God. 
One night, Ben was riding his motorcycles through the streets of his hometown in Northern California, and he was either high or drunk or both, according to him. And Ben did not notice a car that had pulled out in the middle of the road and kind of stopped. We crashed into the back of it, and it sent him through the rear windshield. I think we've got a picture of that up there right now. That's Ben. I remember him calling me afterward and saying, hey, do you think vitamin E cream will help? And I said, buddy, you're still good looking. That's Ben. He called me the next day because he remembered the talks that we had had about God. He remembered the Starbucks chats, the messages he had preached in youth worship. But mostly he told me that he remembered how much I had loved and encouraged him. He said, I thought I was nothing. I didn't matter to anybody. But then I remembered how much you cared about me and my brother And I thought, we must be something if somebody else cares about us that much. And I'm not saying that to brag. In fact, if you get Christ's formula down, it's it's almost self-serving to serve others. I'm brought to tears by the privilege of getting to serve in this guy's life. There is no greater joy than living for God and for others. And service puts you directly in the path of God's blessing. I want to emphasize this point to you. If you hear nothing else today, then please hear this. You cannot outgive God. You can't outdo his blessings and you will never understand all that he will do for those who try. Let me give you an example of how deeply I believe this. I I had just completed writing this message at my coffee shop when I made my almost daily trek to the KFC drive-thru. Do not judge me. They had a few rough years, but the chicken has once again achieved greatness. I got my $5 fill-up bucket and headed to the nearest gas station. And while I was there, there was a gentleman opposite of the pump for me, kind of a beat-up Chevy truck. I mean, he wasn't doing great. It's obvious. I said it was a Chevy he, he's in this Chevy truck, and he just he strikes up a conversation about my car, and he's this gruff, rough-looking guy, but he had a chihuahua in the truck, so we start, started talking about the chihuahua. And as I got in my car and he got in his truck, it dawned on me, I think the Holy Spirit just said, he's hungry. And I had not even opened my chicken bag. I said, hey, man, yeah, I said, I got some extra chicken. Could, would you like some? He goes, oh, I could eat. I said, okay. Like, I said, here, man, I'm hating my chicken. And as I was waiting in the KFC drive through line for the second time in 15 minutes, <laughs> I got so excited about the opportunity to try and outgive God. I was like literally, yes, I gave something in Jesus' name. Because here's the deal. He rewards us. We like to say, oh, don't say that. Oh, God is going to bless you. Bull. Try out giving him. He rewards those who desperately seek to be his physical presence on this earth. I actually sometimes feel selfish about doing those things because I know it comes with huge Benefits. If you don't believe me, tonight when you go home, read the second half of Matthew chapter 25, and you're going to see how God, Jesus, in the end, judges the world by how well we did fellowship, by how well we fed the hungry. 
by how well we took in orphans or we took in strangers or we shared Christ. Whether you're serving, where or who are you serving? In Christ's formula for significance and leadership, you have to be serving. Are you volunteering in the children's ministry? Are you giving financially to the hills so that they continue to do things like free oil changes or sending needed funds to missionaries around the world? Are spending time in feeding shelters or homeless shelters? Is, is there a group that meets in your house every week to be cared about and loved on? Are your neighbors thankful that you live there? Or are you more worried about your lawn than Jesus? Who are you discipling, pouring into so that they might become the next evangelist? By the way, Ben is in church every week, married a girl who looks like a model, loves Jesus, and has a successful photography business. In fact, I am flying to California next week for free because Ben bought me a ticket. God's blessing. Who are you discipling? Who wakes up in the middle of the night and feels important because you believe with all of your heart and mind that they're important? Let's pause for a second. Who have you invited to Easter Sunday? You can pick up these cards on the way out. You can show them to somebody if they're like, I don't want to touch your card because you probably got COVID. Just tell them to scan this little bar. I mean, who are you inviting to Easter Sunday? Who, who do you know that's far from God that needs help finding his way to him? And they might just find him here on Easter Sunday. How many invitations are you handing out? See, because according to Christ's formula, the only way that you can be a leader and therefore be significant is to be serving someone, somewhere, somehow. But wait, there's more to Christ, to Jesus' little formula. Uh, Number two, if you want to be very significant or first, you have to be a slave. Remember what he said? Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Let's define that word, the Greek word doulos, one who is in permanent Relation or servitude to another. His or, her will, his or her will being altogether consumed in the will of others. I think these are the missionaries all over the world, local and far away. The, the guys and girls who walk the streets and give it all up for Jesus. I was in Hata Del Yaqui in the DR when I met this young American girl named Jen Goodenough. I swear that was her last name. I think she was from Missouri, although she was pale enough to be from Indiana. Some of you folks need sun. I watched Jen walking up and down the dirt roads of this village. I watched children running up to her and saw her picking them up and loving on them. I'm a little bit of a germ foe, and to be honest, I wasn't touching anyone. I wasn't picking these kids up, but she was. And what made her so significant is the way she made them feel. She loved them the way Jesus loved them. And I remember walking behind her with all these little kids holding her hands, and I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, she looks just like Jesus. She couldn't drive home at the end of the evening. My plane was leaving in a few days. Her wasn't leaving for years. And I have to tell you, there's no Starbucks in Hata Del Yaqui. She was altogether consumed with the needs of those people in the village. She was willing to be a slave for Christ. We have many slaves right here, many who have adopted children. It's a forever commitment. Sharon, Tim Olson, and Death, it's six of their eight children. Daryl and Jen Marin have fostered many, many children over the years. They have clean clothes and school and great food and Christmas presents. These people look a lot like Jesus. Greatness is not defined by how many people serve you. 
Greatness is deserved by, defined by how many people you will serve. Jesus wasn't quite done. He wasn't finished with his lesson to the boys. What if you want to be the goat? What if you want to be the greatest of all time? Number three, he said, if you want to be the greatest leader of all time, you have to be willing to die for those around you. Matthew 20, verse 28, for even the Son of Man, Jesus said, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew he was going to die for us when he came. He was born to die. Talk about 80s, the old Billy Jack movie, Born to Die. Anybody remember that? Second Billy Jack movie. I always think of that when I think Jesus was born to die. Talk about being used, unappreciated, but serving anyway. Remember when he was talking to disciples? Listen, we're on our way to Jerusalem. He says, they're going to sentence me to die. He didn't want to die. He especially didn't want to die an excruciating, humiliating death on the cross. If you don't believe that, read Hebrews chapter 12. He knew he had to die. So by his own desire, he did. Because there was no other way to pay for our sins. In fact... There's no way for you to make it into eternal peace and joy and into the presence of God without Jesus. Romans chapter 3, Paul writes this, For everyone has sinned. You out there this morning, today, you know you sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Guys, anyone who hears my voice right now or later online, please understand that you were so significant to Jesus that he willingly died on the cross for you. He died so you wouldn't have to. He took your place. He died for all of your wrongdoings and paid for all of your wrongs. Romans 3 says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life by shedding his blood. Listen, if you have never called out on Jesus, if you have never believed that he sacrificed his life for you, then I'm begging you to do that today. Whether you're here, whether you're online, I'm asking you to see, step forward and just say, in your own mind, your own heart, Jesus, the best I know how. I believe the Bible. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I need that payment. I want to call upon you to be my Savior, to be my God. If you have never believed that Jesus sacrificed his life for you, then I'm begging you to do that today. And guys, if you want to be somebody, then you have to be helping somebody else be somebody. Let's pray. Father, we love and worship and praise you. We adore you. God, open doors for us to serve, bring people into our lives for us to share Christ with. Uh, Father, whatever it takes, expand our borders so that, expand our lives so that we may meet people far from God. Give us the courage to say, hey, let me tell you about my Savior. Uh, Get courage to say, hey, join me at church. Father, we want to be significant to you and the world around us. We worship and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.